Welcome to Hired Podcast. Learn tips and tricks on how to get hired. Welcome to the Pitch Perfect Elevator Pitch Workshop. My name is Amber Wigmore-Alvidis, number two of our Masterclass Webinar Series for Hired. It's a pleasure to welcome our live audience this evening from BI Norwegian Business School, as well as the more than 1,300 hired registered talent that we have around the globe. So I'm very happy to be here presenting to you all on the topic that I'm most passionate about. Just a bit of my background, I originally grew up in the United States. I came the last eight and a half years working as Executive Director of Talent and Careers at IE Business School in Spain. And now as Chief Innovation Officer at Hired, I'm happy to be with all of you this evening. Uh, spent much of my career working in the area of talent and careers for students, for candidates, for thousands of recruiters around the globe, conducting workshops in more than 30 countries on a regular basis. So I wanted to talk to you tonight about the topic that I'm most passionate about and which happens to be the one that I've seen helps candidates, helps professionals, no matter what stage of their career they're at, to advance in their careers. And it could be upward mobility in their own organization, or it could be those that are looking to secure their next job opportunity. And that is the topic of executive presence. And we used to hear more about this years ago. It was a buzzword, and I'm trying to bring it back a bit. And it's really something that could also be called impactful presence, uh, not just for executive level. This is something that I've done with high school students, with university students. It's really about creating an impact with those that you want to impress, uh, be it it could be an HR recruiter, somebody who works for a company that you would like to work for, or it could be because you are an entrepreneur and you're going to be pitching to an audience of investors or the press. And this is something I do also with an elevator pitch school in France, preparing entrepreneurs to go to major tech events and, and present their ventures. So I'm happy to be here and talk to you about what I consider the recipe for success. Uh, and what it takes to create executive presence. And we're gonna go through a checklist to understand, is this something that you already have? Is it something that you can be developed? And just so you all know, this is something I strongly believe can be developed. So in terms of the recipe for success, it's really about mixing self-confidence and self-trust with an active listening. The ability to speak with someone and quickly navigate patterns of the conversation. It's about having strong and clear language, written and spoken, but also positive body language. And I will focus a lot in this session on body language because I feel not enough connection is made between the world of careers uh, and upward mobility and securing those job opportunities with body language and nonverbal communication. And I really want to emphasize it because nonverbal communication accounts for 93% of our language. Only 7% is the spoken word. So some tips when it comes to executive presence, it's not about you, it's about the others. And it's not about exercising your influence and power, but it's about making others feel comfortable with your powerful presence. And finally, it's an ability to start a conversation with someone. And this is something I've worked with students from more than 126 nationalities. For some students, for some professionals I work with, the networking and the approaching influential individuals comes naturally. For others, there's different cultures that they're not as comfortable with this and they need more coaching and guidance. I've been very fortunate in my career to be able to moderate panels in more than 30 different countries and fireside chats with highly influential individuals, CEOs of major companies with literally hundreds of thousands of employees around the world. And I wanted to share what I call my five secret weapons. And my five secret weapons, because these are the questions 
that have worked the best that I've asked people, uh, people, uh, highly influential individuals, and it found that it really gets them to stop in their footsteps and respond with a meaningful response from the heart. Questions like, what is the best piece of advice anyone has ever given you? Where and how do you find inspiration? No matter where someone is in their career, everyone has a source of inspiration. And there tends to be an emotional component linked to this. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your career? Finish this statement, and especially for those who might be moderating a panel in the future. If you hadn't pursued a career in business or government relations, whatever it might be, you would have been a... So this is where people start talking about their frustrated career and perhaps why they did not become that person. And for those who might have had a very successful career trajectory and perhaps are nearing a stage of retirement, so what's next? What is the next step? So these are the ones that have worked the best for me. And now I want to go through a checklist. And it's really to get a feel for where we stand when it comes to our own executive presence. Uh, and I'm going to be showing different photos of, of politicians and well-known individuals. And without getting into any political stances, uh, I think we can all say that Barack Obama is someone who exudes executive presence. And for some, maybe this comes naturally. For others, it's something that they need to work on and develop. And I've been working with individuals for years in this topic, and I've seen just dramatic improvement. And it's really about asking for that honest feedback. It's all about practice makes perfect. And I will actually bring up, I'm going to ask for a couple of volunteers from our live audience to come up and practice their elevator pitch. And it's really about practicing in a warm learning environment and asking for that realistic, honest feedback from people, and that's how we improve. And also never declining a speaking engagement, no matter how daunting it might seem. So I'm going to read through this checklist, uh, and I won't ask our live audience to raise their hands, but we're going to do a quick online poll. So for those of you connected around the globe, uh, we'll, do a, we'll launch a quick poll uh, after we go through the checklist to get a feel for where you currently stand. How many of these would you have checked off? Your presence is felt when you walk into a room. You inspire people. You are likable and trustworthy. You always make people feel important. People are curious to know more about you. People want to be your friend, build a relationship with you. You are perceived as important, valued, and respected. You have an elegant way of approaching and engaging and you ask timely, relevant, and thought-provoking questions, just like the ones we just saw. You are social, well-read, and share fresh perspectives. You leave behind a message that people remember. You relate equally well with different types of people. You positively impact those around you immediately. You share and create opportunities for others, and you smile and maintain eye contact. So now we're gonna launch the quick poll and think about how many of these would you have checked off? Do you have executive presence? Would you be in the zero to three category, four to six, seven to nine, 10 to 12, 13 or more? If you're in the 13 or more, you're welcome to teach this workshop with me in the future. <laughs> so just think about where you stand and perhaps we'll give it a just a few more seconds.
and we'll, we'll see where our virtual audience stands. We have the results? Okay. 25% answered seven to nine, 21% answered uh, zero to three, 10%, 10 to 12, and 1% 13 or more. Ah, fantastic. Okay, very good. So uh, this is something that we can all, everybody can work on at all stages of your career. And I'm gonna give you, we don't have much time, and I put into this presentation in the session what I feel has helped the people that I've worked with the most in a short amount of time to secure the job opportunities they were looking for, to advance in their careers, and to get to that next level of their career. So one of the main things is public speaking. And this is an area I've worked a lot on. And believe it or not, it is a fact that people are more afraid of public speaking than they are of dying. And that's true. And this is, it's universal when we do this, different studies around the globe, people are more afraid of speaking in public than they are of dying. And I've done this workshop in many countries, and it used to surprise me that following this workshop, somebody would come up to me and somebody who might be at a senior executive level in their companies, uh, maybe CEO, CFO, COO, and they would come up to me and engage very well on a one-on-one -on -one basis but they would tell me how afraid they were of public speaking and how they had a phobia of public speaking. And it was hard for me to believe, but really very highly accomplished and ambitious individuals go through this. So I wanna share the tips that have worked the best with coaches that I've worked with over the years uh, at all different levels of their career. One of the first ones being that people often see themselves up in front of everyone, in front of the audience, the spotlight, all eyes on Amber, spotlight on Amber, 1,300 from around the world. Uh, and that's where people get nervous. And it's really what you need to do is change that mentality. You need to change the mindset. It's not about all eyes on Amber, but it's about how can I be of service to the audience? You have a certain expertise, you have certain knowledge that you want to share with your audience. So that's important. You wanna focus on their needs. But in order to do that, you need to know all about your audience. So when I start working with people, I'll ask them all the questions about who's in the audience, what are their profiles, what companies are they from, uh, what is the topic of the conference you'll be speaking at, what is the format, the layout of the room, who are the other speakers, and I'm always surprised that they don't have the answers to this. So the first thing you want to do, first of all, when asked to be a speaker, whenever it's relevant, you should always accept that speaking engagement. And I can tell you with my former, my academic institution where I continue as professor, we organize more than 1500 events per year. And when we would call on speakers to come and present at a career forum or a major event, the first thing people would always try to do was to think of somebody else to send in their place. They always wanted somebody else to go and would say, no, but we want you. So the first thing you should always do is never reject an opportunity to speak in public and then really ask all the questions about your audience. Now, the next thing you wanna do is hook them with emotion. For the last seven years, I've taught an executive education program, which is for researchers and scientists looking to accelerate in the world of business. And they would frequently say to me, Amber, but what I need to present, it's very dry or dull findings in the scientific field. 
But when you start asking them questions about why did you pursue this line of research, then you start to realize perhaps they did it because there was someone in their family with a rare illness, or they have a certain expertise that can have an impact on society or the environment. And so there's an emotional component to that when you start asking the why. The next major one for me is that people tend to practice all the wrong way. When I ask them how they're practicing or if they've been practicing, they'll tell me that they have been and I'll ask them where. And almost always they're sitting at their desk, they're sitting on their sofa at home. What you need to do from the very start of the presentation, from the very start of your rehearsal is to simulate and to replicate the actual scenario. So hopefully, and you will almost always, hopefully, be presenting standing up. Make sure from the very first moment that you're standing up during the rehearsal. And at the same time, you want to break down your presentation into different components. People tend to know very well the opening and the closing, but it's during the body, that content of the speech, when you find that they're looking down oftentimes, looking for the words, and they don't completely dominate and master that content. So you want to spend the first day really dominating and understanding and rehearsing that opening. The next day, the next paragraph, the next paragraph, until you know your material, the content, inside out. And people will often say, Amber, but I don't like to do that because I don't want it to sound too rehearsed. What happens is the more that you know your material, the more spontaneous and natural you can be the more you can accompany it with appropriate body language. So you can talk about an increase in price over a span of years. When you don't know the material and you're looking for the words and you're trying to remember, you don't remember to accompany it with the right body language. So it's very important. Eating right. Eating certain foods before a performance can significantly improve our performance. So you need to know which foods to eat. You want to eat the foods that facilitate memory formation, such as those complex carbohydrates, nuts, oils, fit foods rich in omega-3 fatty acids, the flavanols, the cocoa, the berries, the grapes. You want to avoid simple sugars and sweets that can maybe give you a rush, but then make you more mentally hazy and sluggish. And the caffeine, well, caffeine can be good during the actual rehearsal because it can make you more productive and energetic. You would avoid caffeine, not just because it can make you more jittery, but especially for those who suffer from dry mouth. And this can happen to even very experienced speakers. Your mouth can get dry, so you want to completely avoid the caffeine, which will contribute and add to the dry mouth. Now, there's a phenomenon called up-talking. Anyone here in the audience ever heard of up-talking? And this is where we raise the pitch of our voice towards the end of the sentence. And it happens at exactly the point when you don't want it to happen. Usually it'll happen when you're at a conference and you go around the room and ask people to introduce themselves. And they'll say, I'll give you an example of how it sounds when you do up talking. And what happens when you raise the pitch of your voice towards the end of the sentence, it makes it sound as if you're doubting yourself, as if you're questioning yourself. My name is Amber Wigmer Alvarez. So it makes it sound like I don't even know what my own name is. I'm chief innovation officer. So see how it sounds? And it takes away all the authority in your voice. And people tend to do this. They get a little nervous. They, they inhale. You want to fully exhale as you're finishing your thought or your sentence. My name is Amber Wigmer Alvarez, and I'm chief innovation officer.
That's straight talk, as opposed to my name is Amber Wigmer Alvarez and I'm chief innovation officer. So just be aware. And when you start to become aware of things like this, you can see how that can really impact one in their career. And it's become, we say in American English and Australian English, this has become almost an epidemic. People talk like this. You really need to monitor and, and be careful and be aware of this, especially when you're speaking English. Now, I want to focus quite a bit on nonverbal communication, body language. Uh, the person who I most respect, who I had training with, is Joe Navarro. For those of you who have never heard of Joe, he's written for me the two best books for me in the world of business, but applies to everything what everybody is saying and louder than words. Joe was a former FBI agent for 25 years, counterintelligent agent in the US and became an absolute expert in body language. And the reason why nonverbal communication is so important is because the message is received at the speed of light and we can't even speak that fast. And I'm going to be showing you some photos that illustrate exactly that point. So this is a photo from one of the pages of his book, What Everybody is Saying. And you can see that when we dissect the face, each and every one of the lines is telling, is indicative, tension, concern, anxiety, happiness, shame, embarrassment. And we're going to be seeing some photographs, but at the same time, this is the face. It's important to really look at the whole context and understand the situation as well. So I've had colleagues of mine, I've had them engage in certain body language positions and postures that I wanted to illustrate for you all uh, because they're the ones that they're very basic that we see a lot in the day-to-day -day in the office and that I feel can help to have the greatest impact in our careers. This is something known as the power pose. So in the world of body language, it's more about, it's very simple if you want to remember, the more that you can be expansive as opposed to being closed and slouched. So this is meant to be interactive. We have a question from the audience. Um, we were just wondering what the title of the book was from Joe. Joe has several books. He has What Everybody is Saying, Louder Than Words, and his most recent publication was The Body Language Dictionary. So basically, when you see different uh, tells and la body language, nonverbal communication, you can just quickly look for that. He's also written other books on dangerous personalities, poker tells as well. Uh, but those are the, the three main ones that I would recommend. He's also very active on Twitter, at Navarro Tells, uh, and for me, the foremost referencing guru. Yes? Um, do you have any tips for how we can train our voice levels going up and down? The, the, the voice level is a whole other uh, aspect of nonverbal communication and very important. Voice training, uh, I would recommend looking into a voice training course. Uh, there's different, different theater schools and workshops that actually do this for the world of business and for executives. So I would highly recommend voice training. Uh, and for in line with this, there's also the Toastmasters Club, which is a club that has a presence around the world uh, where you can go and you can practice your public speaking uh, and really get feedback from others who are also a bit uncomfortable about speaking in public. So Toastmaster, Toastmasters International. Those would be two recommendations. So it's really about being, to show your power, to show your authority, always being more expansive. 
So this is what we would call the Wonder Woman pose. This term was coined by Amy J. Cuddy, a social psychologist at Harvard Business School. And it's been proven that by standing in this position for a certain amount of seconds, it raises the level of testosterone. So it's been shown, and once this was proven, uh, there are many people in the world of business who will actually hold this position before going into an important negotiation or meeting or a job interview. And so you see how this gives the impression more of someone to be listened to and respected versus someone who is more closed and slouched. It's always about being more expansive. Again, this one here, it's about adopting an expansive posture versus closed and slouched, which can give the impression of being more shy and submissive. Now this posture right here, this is not something I would recommend to do in a job interview. I have had many men do this in job interviews. It, they just happen to do it. Uh, and it, that can show in a job interview that would show overconfidence, arrogance, okay? But on the day-to-day -day in an informal work environment, that would, be, that would be fine, of course, informal environment. You really need to understand the context of the situation. There's something very interesting called the eyebrow flash. This is how humans, we make split-second decisions uh, on things like when you're meeting someone, a quick microsecond raising of the eyebrows gives the impression of someone who's more welcoming, collaborative, and if you want to increase your likelihood of being liked by someone as you meet them, as you shake their hand, a quick eyebrow flash. We have another question. Yeah, how about the position of running through the finish line when your arms are in a Y shape? <laughs> when your arms in a, well, that would be one of, of probably success, accomplishment. Uh, you really need to understand the whole, the whole situation. And that leads me to oftentimes I've shown photographs and people will say, what do you understand about this picture? And you really need to understand, first of all, who took the picture? Who asked for the picture to be taken? What was going on? What was the temperature in the room? Because there are certain things that we do. Sometimes the folding of the arms, it could be not because somebody is being closed or they're disinterested, but it could be because of the temperature in the room. Another reason why sometimes uh, we see more often men will put their hands in their pocket during a presentation. In some cases, it could be because they're cold. So this is why the, the why it would really need to, we'll see many different photos and I'll be explaining different things that we could read into it. We would really need to understand much more about the context. But we also wanna look at the feet. We often look at the face first, and of course, very indicative, but at the same time, we say that the face can have social obligations. So it's important to look at the feet. And this is an example of making the effort to stand with the feet at a 45 degree angle, slightly tilting the head, can show us to be more open and collaborative. So we would say to do something like this when you're meeting a new manager or a new colleague at work. The handshake. A weak handshake can of course show a lack of authority, too firm, and we've seen a lot of this recently in, in politics, can show being overly aggressive. The more that we can touch when appropriate in certain cultures, and as you're shaking someone's hand to touch their forearm, the more we touch, it releases the bonding chemical oxytocin. So if you want to close certain deals and negotiations when appropriate in certain cultures, then you would want to touch the forearm. Now this is the case of looking down during a presentation and I often have people look at this and say, but who would actually do that? Who would look down during a presentation? I see this all the time in my students and people presenting. When you don't completely know your material inside out, Oftentimes you look down and again, makes you look weak, 
and you lose the authority, the command of the audience. Now, this is a case of angling the body away. Uh, this can mean a couple of different things. It can be showing that you're feeling distrustful of the person that you're speaking with. It also can be cultural. So having grown up in the US, but been in Spain for 20 years, I would often find that when my American students would come up to me after the first class, oh, you're from the US, me too. Uh, where are you from? I find that they physically take a step back from me. And it's because after 20 years in Spain, I'm simply standing too close. So again, an example of why you need to really understand the whole context of a situation before trying to read into nonverbal communication. Now, the folding of the arms, and I think this is where we have one of the biggest misperceptions in the area of, of body language. This one clearly can show you're being closed off in the stance, you're disinterested, you're not buying into the person's message. But then we have this case here where it's really just stress relief. You're massaging your other arm, and this is really showing there's just some sort of anxiety, but not necessarily with the person that you're speaking with. Then finally, we have this one, which is a self-hug. And we find the woman in the second row, couple women, are actually in this position right now. Now, the self-hug, this is a very common position when you're listening to a speaker. And hopefully, it's not because you're, you don't trust my message, but because you're just relaxed and listening. It's a very common position when you look around a room and you're either waiting for a speaker to present or you're listening to a speaker. And what's most interesting about the folding of the arms, if you think about it, we hardly fold our arms at home. We do it much more in public. Now, I wanna show you some real life examples. And these are two former colleagues of mine. Uh, and this just shows exactly what Joe Navarro says, how the message is, travels faster than the speed of light when we look at photographs. Uh, now, they were on a different campus presenting and for logistical purposes, I needed to know if their presentation had finished. So I sent a WhatsApp message to a colleague and said, did they finish presenting? And I received this photo. And what's incredible, there's so much that you can read into this. First of all, you have the gentleman who was in the back. He was actually the one presenting to an audience of more than 100. He was presenting a strategic plan. There was a lot of commotion from the audience, not thinking that they could reach that objective, those KPIs. And so suddenly, the gentleman up front, his boss, the mastermind of the plan gets up to take over the presentation. So you see the gentleman in the back, he's doing something called looking askance. Looking askance, it's a body language term. And what I love about this photo is you hardly ever see this happening. And it's when you stand with your hands by your side and you look off like this to the side and you're just completely not trusting, not believing the message that the person is saying. So you can already, that was incredible. But then you see his boss, and what do you notice about the gentleman up front? What is it that stands out the most? Confidence. And that, that's exactly what this photo is saying. And what represents confidence the most? Take a look at his fingers. The wider the fingers are spread open, the wider open your fingers, the more passionate you are about something and the more confident you are. So he's leaning into the audience and his fingers, they couldn't be spread more wide open. So you see how much is going on in this picture. The one who is completely disbelieving the plan, 
get, now he's in the background in the boss, the mastermind, so passionate and confident that this can be done. Now we have a 1960 presidential debate. We have Nixon crossing his arms when talking to JFK off the air. Clearly, this is not someone who's cold. This is someone who's feeling intimidated, as his biographer would say, by Ivy League types. This is a great example. This is one of my favorites, using the legs as barriers. You have Gore Vidal on the left and William Buckley on the right, using their legs as barriers during the 68 Democratic National Convention. You see how they're crossing their legs away from one another. This is something that you want to be very aware of when you're in a job interview. If you're gonna be crossing your legs, you always wanna fold it towards your interviewer. If you're moderating a panel, you want to do the same. So I wanna show you, this is a panel that I moderated a couple of weeks ago in Madrid. Uh, and as the moderator in this case, I was in the middle, so I had both feet on the ground. Had I been on one of the extremes, which is often the case in moderation, I would have crossed my legs like this woman from Congress towards everyone else. You can see she's clearly a polished politician and understands body language. It was very evident. Now, this woman here, we have, she's crossing her legs away from me and two other panelists. Uh, so in her case, also should have probably had both feet on the ground. Uh, same with the other woman. She's crossing her legs towards the gentleman at the end, and he's, he's just slightly crossing his feet. Could have gone the other way, but that's not so bad. But you really want to be aware of this. So as a moderator or as a panelist, make sure that you're always aware of where you're crossing your legs uh, to facilitate an environment and ambiance more of collaboration. We have a question from the audience. I know we were talking about leg barriers, but the question has to do with, um, does smiling before or during a pre presentation make you appear less confident? Confident. There's different things that can make us look more nervous or not, right? Uh, one of the most important things when it comes to body language, I would say is being genuine and authentic. You want to be yourself. And I'm going to show an example in just a moment of uh, something that We'll go, we'll go to Trump and then we'll go to the next one. Uh, I'll show you an example of that, where it's important to be yourself and to be authentic. There's different signs that show that you're more nervous. Uh, so no, I wouldn't say that smiling before or after necessarily makes you look more nervous. I tend, to be more, I tend to be more of a smiley person in general. You need to be yourself, right? There are things that can make you look more nervous or lack of confidence. A touching of the face is oftentimes... Uh, shame of a sign of shame, embarrassment, sometimes nervousness, the rubbing of the hands, rubbing of the legs. There are other things that show much more a lack of confidence in job interviews than the smiling. Now this one, we could do a whole week workshop on Donald Trump, which we will not when it comes to the body language. But again, political stances aside, this is a great example of eye-locking. Uh, from a, the 2015 Republican presidential debate, which means I hear, but I don't care. Then we have this example talking about the touching of the face being a sign of shame and embarrassment. This is what it looks like when you owe 317 billion euros as the former Greek finance minister, Varoufakis. So knowing, understanding the timing of this photo probably had something to do with that. Here we have Ursula Burns, and this is a perfect example of a great display of confidence, 
that even though I know that hand stapling is a sign of confidence, this would not be natural for me. I would never do something like this, the stapling. I would do more like the power pose, like leaning in to a table if you're presenting to a board as they, as they ask you a question. I, that comes much more naturally to me, and I know it has the same effect. So as you're learning different postures and stances, you want to avoid doing things just because you know it's a great display of confidence, but you want to continue to be yourself. Then we have Thorning Schmidt, the former Danish finance prime minister, doing what we call the pseudo praying gesture. So when you do the pseudo praying gesture and it's accompanied by her facial expressions, like her eyebrows, the eyelids, uh, this is something that would be condescending. It would be a patronizing message. So this is the nonverbal message that we're getting. So unless she were presenting to a group of preschool children, if you don't want to alienate your audience, you would avoid doing something like a pseudo praying gesture. And this is why it's important that when you will be presenting that you get the feedback from honest feedback from people that you can ask them for advice during the rehearsal. And I just want to show with this photograph how context is vital with body language. So take a look at this photo. And if you see in just a moment how a hand can change everything. So we go back and you, now you see the hand changes everything. So now I want to link what we just saw with personal branding and the use of the elevator pitch as one of the many methods to create an impact with those that you want to impress. Again, be it someone who's a recruiter for the company you would like to work for, be it an investor for your business plan. And it's really about starting with being an effective networker. Uh, and I find that working with thousands of students over the years, it often frustrates them. They would go to career services and ask us directly for company contacts. And for privacy reasons, we can't just share company contacts, but we would say, but this company is coming on campus, go network with them. Uh, and oftentimes that would frustrate them because they're looking for that immediate benefit in the networking. So it's not so much about what's in it for me, but changing the focus about what's interesting about the person that I have in front of me and building a strong base of contacts before you actually need them. And of course, connecting with them on LinkedIn, connecting with them following the event, otherwise it serves no purpose at all. So the elevator pitch. For those of you who don't or have not heard of the term elevator pitch, it's all about picture you get into an elevator, you have a skyscraper, you have a few seconds with the person who you want, is that very person that you want to impress the person who is maybe the hiring manager for the company you're looking to work for. And you have 45 seconds, one minute to give that pitch about who you are, what are you great at, what are you passionate about. It's really like a teaser where you're becoming an instant sales and marketing mess, uh, director, basically, with your own personal brand. What's important is that the messaging, be it what you're saying in networking events, on your CV, in your cover letter, in your LinkedIn summary, needs to be consistent. One of the biggest career deal breakers is when someone is unable to clearly articulate their career trajectory. So I wanna give you some guidelines and I'd love to bring up a couple people from the audience if we have any volunteers today to actually practice their elevator pitch and get some feedback. 
So typically, it'll be 15 to 45 seconds. Today we'll be allowing, I'll ask someone to volunteer to keep track of the time. We'll keep it at one minute today. And you really want to basically whet the person's appetite. You want to give an introduction, a tagline. It's really so they want to know more about you. And this is something that could be included in your LinkedIn summary, but your elevator pitch should not just be the only thing in your LinkedIn summary. While you'll have a brief professional summary, perhaps on your CV, in LinkedIn, you want to use every possible character that you're allowed on LinkedIn with those keywords. So usually your elevator pitch, will, it won't just be that. There'll be more to the LinkedIn summary. And of course, prepare, practice, and rehearse. So one of the things that I find the most in our webinar number one was about CVs and cover letters. If you haven't seen it, you want to access and, and watch that recording. Uh, and it's really one of the biggest mistakes I find students and candidates do and alumni with a cover letter. It's often they will say that they want to work for a company because they would love to have an international mobility or an international career. And while yes, you want to share your admiration for the company, it's not so much about what the company can do for you, but about what value you bring. What are you contributing? What are you adding? What are you bringing to the table? So who you are, what are you great at and passionate about? And what are those key strengths? And I always say stick to three key strengths. When you start getting more four, five, six, it starts to dilute the message. So stick to the three, the power of the threes, the three key strengths. So basically, who are you? What is your name, job title, primary function? For those who are current students, you want to say, I'm currently studying this program or I'm completing this degree or this master's program. Uh, for those of you who might be transitioning between careers, I'm now, I, I just recently completed a two-year assignment here and I'm now targeting a role uh, in this area. What are you great at and passionate about? Thinking back to previous results, you always want to make it results oriented. And finally, how do your key strengths bring potential value to the employer, to the investor? And what do you want people to remember you for? What is that tagline? Where do you want to create that impact? Now, this could be mine. And this is something that will change always depending on who I'm speaking to. My name is Amber Wigmoralvides and I'm a talent services professional. Now, I found that in different countries, uh, sometimes certain roles, chief innovation officer, yes, uh, is, is quite understood. But if I were to give my former role, executive director of talent and careers, uh, many people don't understand that. They don't understand what a career services department is. In many countries, academic institutions don't have a career center. So I would find it would make more sense to slightly change it to make it more understandable. For more than 17 years, I have worked with executives in the area of talent helping professionals find their motivations that will lead them to success, as well as recruiters looking to identify top talent for their organization. My passion is to improve and accelerate the matching between graduates and professional opportunities. So every time I say this, it comes out completely different, no matter who I'm speaking with and what the, what the forum, what the venue is like, but that you get the overall gist of it. So when I work with the elevator pitch school in, in France and I, I practice and I help prepare uh, entrepreneurs to do this pitch before investors and in front of the press, I'll ask them, I really get an understanding of 
Have they ever drafted a pitch before? How many times have they pitched? Are they comfortable with the structure of the pitch? You, they want to be comfortable, they want to be uh, confident with it. Who will they be pitching to? And finally, I get a general understanding of their comfort level in public speaking. And that's why it's so important to never reject a speaking opportunity. Now, I'll bring up hopefully in just a moment, a couple volunteers, we should have time. And this is really when you, after you do a pitch and if you're gonna be asking people for advice, you want to ask them about and really get a feel for the structure. Were the ideas and the thoughts well organized? Is the structure logical? Is it clear enough for a general audience to understand? I always say this should be something that should be understood easily by a 12-year-old child. Really, because you never know who you have in front of you. And you could be aiming for a highly technical role, but the person in HR does not necessarily have the technical expertise. So make sure that your message is clear enough. Eloquence, how clearly, how eloquently does the speaker express him or herself? How is the level of energy? Was the pitch convincing? Was it genuine, passionate, memorable? Was the speaker able to persuade the audience? Did it sound confident? The performance itself. So was it within the recommended time limit? Was each component, that opening, the body of it, the closing, was each one meticulously executed? And finally, the stage presence that was used. Uh, was the space used appropriately? The voice, the pauses, was it too loud, too soft, too quick, too soft? Was it too many filler words, too colloquial or not? So this is something that you want to consider. Now, what I would like to do, and just remembering that it's a warm learning environment, and I always think this is the best opportunity to volunteer to come up and actually practice and get the feedback. And it's really incredible when you hear the feedback from people in the audience, how you don't realize maybe some things that you were doing before. And there are certain habits or body language that it, we can't immediately eliminate. There's people that sometimes play with their ring during a presentation. But it's about starting to become aware of that and then doing it less and less, doing it slower until you eliminate that behavior. So I would like if we have any volunteers in the audience to come up. Do we have any volunteers this evening? Come on up. And I would say that our volunteer this evening, I'm going to have her speak with me. We're going to pretend as if we don't have the audience. Uh, and we can, you can use it as if you're coming up to me and I could be either because I'm a recruiter at the company you would like to work for or I'm an investor and you have a business plan. So use it for however, whatever is, is beneficial for you. And what might be slightly uncomfortable is that typically a person would engage you in conversation. I will ask if we have a volunteer to keep track of time one minute. Uh, then I'm just, I'd rather hear your pitch and rather than, rather than engaging you in conversation. So if we have, do we have, let's see, a microphone. Perfect. And we have somebody who can time one minute. Perfect. Okay. Hello. Yeah. If you just want to hold it. Okay. Yeah. Hold it up like that. Is that good? Yes. Perfect. We're good to go. Hi. My name is Nina. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm in my final year of leadership and organizational psychology, and I thought that this workshop would be very interesting for me because I'm planning my career in human resources. So I'm looking forward to learning from you, and already I can say that I learned quite a bit. And yeah, I'm looking forward to lots more. Uh, 
definitely interested in the Thank you very much. Okay, good job, Nina. All right, so feedback for Nina. Any feedback from the audience? Yes. Uh, it was only 30 seconds, but you should speak more slowly. Okay, she spoke, she spoke a bit fast, I agree. Uh, and oftentimes, you, that comes with the practice. So what I do with the elevator pitch school is we have the entrepreneurs, they pitch, they do the rehearsal, and it's incredible how much they improve when you have them do it the second time by just slowing it down. It was very good. I got her name, what she's studying. Uh, and in her case, this is very good. She, came, she, she was clear about why she came up to me. Now, what, what, one thing you can always remember, and one of the biggest takeaways that I say, and I probably said it in the last webinar, is if you ask for a job, you'll get advice. If you ask for advice, you'll get a job. So, very, that, so, so when you go up to somebody and you don't really know what to say, it's always great to ask for advice. When you ask for advice in the right way, uh, even if they're not necessarily the person, oftentimes they'll think, ah, but I can put you in contact with someone. So asking for advice. So clearly I would remember. Now, something she could elaborate on. Obviously, I've been working in human resources for many years. Uh, perhaps maybe the more specific you can be sometimes. Uh, so I'm focusing on human resources. Maybe if you could talk about if there's a certain industry, maybe it's not your case, but if there's a certain industry, if there's a certain geographical destination that you're aiming for, I'm focused on working in human resources in the UK. Uh, any advice you might have? Because oftentimes I have students that they try to keep it more vague. Oh, I'm interested in any industry. I'm interested in five different countries. But when you do that, they think that if they're more specific, it closes doors for them. But being more specific allows the person that you're speaking with to think of contacts and to help potentially match you with someone. So now I know you want to work in human resources. It's actually a field where many business schools don't have programs in HR. Uh, and it's a, I know many opportunities in the world of human resources because they tend to, it's a, it's a small world and the, the rotation human resources, they tend to go to other companies. And so we're, we're, it's a, a small world and we all know each other. So when you do that in the future, just as being more specific, that would be more helpful. Okay. If you could be more specific in terms of the marketing or even a certain area within human resources. Are you looking for a role in talent development? Or are you looking for a role in talent acquisition side? And if you're looking for talent acquisition, do you have a certain expertise in analytics, talent analytics, and the use of game-based assessments? So by being more specific, uh, then that will help the person that you're speaking with. Thank you, Nina. Thank you. Thank you. Any other volunteers? We have time for one more volunteer. Come on up. Same thing. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. My name is Roberta. I study Master in Strategic Marketing Management here in BI. I have a Bachelor in Journalism. Uh, I'm from Brazil and I already worked with digital marketing, that it's my passion. And I saw the position being hired in the, in the hired website, Great. <laughs> for sure. And I was very interested because I really like uh, content and SEO, SEO and social media and all 
those things marketing really sorry this last part perfect okay <laughs> so there's uh, some key things Roberta thank you very much for that uh, one of the things that I'll just quickly give my feedback I would have probably never said that you were from Brazil just from the the space that we had between us <laughs> one thing is me from Spain being very close but I seem very you seem very far away I think because I really like Norway you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah you seemed a bit far but so it would have been more natural to be a little closer uh, I like the there was a couple there she actually did two things in body language one that showed that you were a little nervous like the touching of the neck at one point but then she did something where she crossed her leg towards the end and when you cross your legs like that and you get yourself like off balance uh, that's actually a sign of like confidence especially in front of a large audience doing that you got more confident toward the end right so there I could see that there are certain parts of your message that you were more confident with the she had done her research so she knew and even though she had not prepared but she had seen an opportunity on the hired web that was great that you mentioned that uh, so many people go to networking events and just simply don't do the research about who's there and who the audience and who you're going up to speak with so that was very good and now for both of them uh, for Nina and Roberta and the audience whenever you do something like this you want to make sure that you then connect with the people afterwards right always reconnect so you would not have necessarily had to go into more detail with me about the, the vacancy that we have uh, but simply the next day same day it was a pleasure meeting you uh, I would love to work for an organization such as yours any advice that you might have again asking for the advice that goes a long way uh, that would be my my advice something very basic pro networking tip uh, that whenever I ask the audiences if I were to give you a name tag if I were to hand you a name tag where would you put it where would you put your name tag on which side I would put here you would put it there in okay here, here. okay all right <laughs> so most people would put it on automatically on their left-hand side almost everyone 98% of audiences and when I go to conferences uh, almost everyone and I actually go and I I do this and I see how many have it on the left-hand side almost everyone especially men their jacket pockets if they're wearing like a suit jacket there's a pocket and they tend to put it here you want if I if you had it on the left-hand side when I go and I shake your hand my eyes go to the right-hand side so you always want to put a name tag on the right-hand side okay per but very basic but a pro networking tip for pro networkers if you want people to remember your name they're gonna see it over here and for obvious reasons I would avoid putting it other places where you don't want the eyes to go right <laughs> so uh, people that hang them down here yeah so without going into further detail to put it on the right hand side it doesn't feel natural to most but that's where you would want to put it thank you very much Roberta. good luck to you so as a quick recap executive presence is absolutely something that can be developed you want to find your own executive voice and your own communication assets you want to be genuine seeking honest feedback from people uh, and this is something I did with Joe Navarro uh, he being my my foremost guru reference in the world of, of executive presence and body language and knowing he's based in Tampa Florida I moderated a major event a few years back uh, in Miami and I invited him to come and see me and everyone thought amber you're crazy it'll make you more nervous uh, i wanted that honest feedback and he arrived probably at least an hour before 
He wanted to see how I greeted everyone that came into the room. And during the full hour of the moderation, every time I looked up, first of all, he was never sitting. He was always on a different point of the wall. And he did literally a full 360 degree evaluation. Some great takeaways from that. One of the first ones, I was moderating a panel of executive search consultants, headhunters. I was on stage, an audience of more than 100. I was at the podium. I had my panelists here on the stage. Biggest mistake was being behind a podium. You never want to have a barrier in front of you. Always get out, have a lapel mic, have a headset mic. You don't want a podium, a barrier, nothing in front of you. The second one was the arm gestures. The more short, choppy, quick gestures with your arms, the more indicative that is of middle managers. The more senior in an organization, the more broad, sweeping, and slow the gestures are. So you want to slow down your arm gestures always. And the last one, and this is very good advice for any of you who will be moderating panels, was as I asked my, the questions to my panelists, I would ask them questions and I would look over here and I would be looking at my panelists and not looking at my audience. And I thought that was the polite thing to do was to look at my panelists. But what happens is when you do that, as they respond to you, they're only looking at me and you're losing sight of the audience. And you have then an hour long discussion where I'm only speaking to the panelists, they're looking at me and the audience is lost. And they need you there as an orchestrator, as a facilitator of the event. So you only get that kind of honest feedback when you get the courage to get up and practice and ask for that advice from people. So hopefully that was a good learning experience. So finally, the never decline the speaking engagements. And then of course, you want to promote that online in any social media presence that you might have that you did that. And it really helps you to create uh, that you're a thought leader in a certain industry. So the more people see that you're in HR, the more people see that you're in SEO marketing, uh, you want to show that. So it creates a certain buzz and that's what it's all about. And with that, I will leave you with my contact details. I'm active, of course, on LinkedIn, also at Wigmore Alvarez on both Twitter and Instagram. So thank you to both our live audience hosted by BI Norwegian Business School here in Oslo, Norway, as well as the virtual audience, more than 1,300 from around the world from the EFMD member schools. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. See you again at the next Hired Podcast. Visit our website, Hire.global for more information.